Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. Workplaces of all types have changed considerably since I started my newspaper journalism career in the late 1990s. Back then, newsrooms were accepted and even celebrated as boys clubs, packed with mostly white men who had not been to university like I had to study ahead of working as a reporter, and certainly a place where more women were cleaners, tea ladies or receptionists than reporters or senior executives. And if you didn't like it, there was an assumption you couldn't hack it. So your exit was not met with any kind of HR exit survey, let alone a place you could safely report any experiences such as bullying or harassment and expect to have a career afterwards. Inclusion at work was not even thought of back then, but it's a wonderful thing that has become a major goal for offices, factories and political environments the world over. My guest today is an expert on workplace inclusion. Gloria Taby is an author and the managing director at Everyday Inclusion and founder of Voice Everyday Racism. Gloria's research specializes in social analysis on race, social inequalities and anti-racism. As a black African-Australian woman, Gloria brings well-grounded knowledge and experience of the impacts presented in race and gender identities. With over three decades of experiences in project management, employment services, professional mentorship and business coaching, Gloria's ability to engage, negotiate and build worthwhile relationships across diversity, clients and demographics are her greatest skills. Gloria provides proactive, relevant and impactful training frameworks that are tailored to your business for a safe, productive and sustainable future. And welcome to the politics of everything, Gloria. Thank you, Amber. Thank you for having me. So I just wanted to go back to your early career. Like, do you remember as a kid what you wanted to be when you grew up? And did that end up eventuating in any way? Or what was your early career experience? What profession and where did you end up? I grew up in Africa and my parents instill, you know, the importance of education in me. Africa, as we know, is one of the purest countries in the world. And this is, you know, an important conversation we can have another time. But somehow my parents were adamant that education had the ability to get out out of poverty, which is something that I didn't understand as a youngster, but I do now. Yes, yes. The the old head on young shoulders theory, isn't it? We look back and we realise that sometimes that advice was, was true. That's right. That's right. So I basically took that advice on board, put my head down and, and study as hard as I could, but didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And also the idea of looking after yourself, that individualism, growing up in the 70s back in Africa was non-existence. Our lives were intertwined with one another, like the concept of Ubuntu, humanity from the Zulu South African culture tradition. So Ubuntu is about I am because we are. And 
this is how being communities, I think, was partly for our survival and that affected everything I wanted to do in terms of what I could study or even a job I could settle in. So let me give you an example. I wanted to be a nurse, but because there was already a nurse in the family, I couldn't be one. <laughs> I need room for one nurse. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So you have to do something that complemented and supported the family and the community as a whole. I wanted to also be a teacher. Again, there was a teacher in the family, so I couldn't be. To, to support the family ecosystem, I had to consider something else that brought value to the family and the community, not just satisfying my needs or my interests. So in the end, I ended up com- doing a combined degree in environment management and tourism. And I kind of reason it as, you know, I love to look after trees and plants and I also love to travel. So if I did something together, then somehow I was also meeting my needs. Yeah. And and nobody else in the in the um, family did that. So that was a pretty good pick. Excellent. Well, that's so interesting. I guess inclusion um, for many people means different things, but I guess a textbook definition, it's when it occurs, is the diversity of people, and that could be ages, cultural backgrounds, genders, all sorts of aspects that makes us human. And we actually want to come to work, obviously, and feel valued and respected and have access, if you like, equal access, which is always very difficult to kind of quantify, but for opportunities and resources, and we can contribute our perspectives and our talents to improve an organisation, even if we are different from from the majority there. This sometimes can feel a little bit unrealistic in sectors. And I think of sort of male-dominated industries that I've had opportunities to work with and in, such as mining and logistics. Are there some proven ways that businesses can actively attract, if you like, that talent and support them once they get them so that it's not just as a tokenistic, you know, we want to have more women, but really, you know, the environment's not very female friendly or there's, look, I've worked in places where there's not even, a you know, a separate female change room, for example, you know, in some mines and so forth many years ago. How can we make sure that it's more than just a tokenistic gesture? to have inclusion as part of where we work? Mm. This is a great question, Amber. And this is the basics of my work in diversity, equity and inclusion work, actually. And I will try to answer this question by telling you a story. So as a black woman, and although very well-educated, and skilled in my area of specialty, I still move in the world faced with multiple barriers due to the colour of my skin. I face sexism as well as racism in an ongoing faction. And so when I work and I get contracts, I often wondered how the workplace you've described, <laughs> you know, whether it's in the mining industry or the logistics, are going to respond to not just what I have to say and my efforts, but who I am actually 
I am a black woman. Surely, you know, they will listen to facts and research, but they need to also relate to me first. And my message is always the same. I start by talking with them about the things that we value as people. So things like fairness, respect, psychological safety or kindness, because they are all the basis of diversity, equality and inclusion work. And we all can see value in these principles that I've just mentioned. So once the workplace be a mining organizational logistics that we've just mentioned, can see the universal value in some of these principles that I've just mentioned, you know, respect, kindness, fairness, and so forth, no matter what the color of your skin is, your gender or age, we can then move into conversations of inclusion, you see? Yes. And also to help them to see that we all experience world differently. Something that a lot of people with privilege might haven't actually stopped to think about. Exactly. They haven't had to perhaps. Yeah. And so that becomes the starting point of our conversation. And then once we get that basis established, I can actually talk and bring about inclusion and how inclusion brings balance into the mix and support everyone to thrive and be their best. You see? so That makes sense. It's actually very logical. Mm. So if you try to bombard them with the importance of inclusion, you've lost them. But when you look at the universal values that we all hold here, fairness and respect, kindness, it's like, ah, oh, then actually listen and then you can actually get to do the work. So workplace inclusion has become such a focus for big companies and small companies and everyone in between, perhaps in the past decade more than ever. I'm going to ask a very pointy question here. Is it about profit as much as people in your experience? Because we know workplaces that have diversity and inclusion and thrive and don't have high staff turnover actually make more money. Mm -hmm. See, workplace inclusion has actually always been a huge issue for people who experience exclusionary practices. I couldn't get that word right. Exclusion practices through racism, sexism, gender diverse for decades. But do you know what's different? 2020 was a catalyst with the brutal killing of George Floyd, a black man on the street of United States of America. And this awful, awful incident made it somehow possible for us to talk about exclusionary practices in the workplace that's been going on for, for years and years. You know, gone are the days when societal problems like this, racism, sexism, were discussed outside the boundaries of businesses. But a recent study, I will share this, that was done by Forbes and SurveyMonkey of 
a thousand employees concluded that nearly 90% of us wanted a workplace that is safe, respectable for everyone. This is now the deal. So combining greater awareness with access and people's access to social media, it's actually businesses' ultimate interest to do whatever it takes to get it right for their employees and their social standing of the world. Otherwise, you know, what they don't do if they are not walking the talk <laughs> can now go out in public very, very quickly. Absolutely. And that's no good for them and their reputation. Exactly, exactly. It's become much more normalised and expected. So it can start with hiring and having that diversion and inclusion policy, but how does everyday culture in an organisation need to operate so it's successful? Because you can't just tick boxes and go, okay, we've hired a woman of colour, we've now hired, you know, someone of this particular minority, we've also got someone older in the workplace. But to actually make it a really thriving place that not just financially thrives but socially, are there any ways in which this can happen? Because the fear is if we're all too different, you know, there'll be more conflict. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking that's a potential if, if it's not done well. That is a golden question <laughs> and that's what I get hired by organisations to do and I couldn't see this conversation being able to explain everything. But years in research and also writing my book on inclusion and working with organisations, I now know without a doubt failure for businesses to understand the specificities of racism in how it is presented, in all system and how it comes about, if we are not on board of that, then your inclusion work that you're trying to do will be tokenistic because racism is responsible for all workplace exclusion ills. So what I mean by that is, any issues that we have in the workplace, whether it be harassment, sexism, bullying, originated from racism. And so this is why I'm saying that in order to do this work properly and become an inclusion organisation, you need to go back and learn about the opposite of inclusion is exclusion. And what it is that causes exclusion in our workplace. And I'm saying that it's racism. And this is what research tells us. And so bias training is not going to cut it. And if you really want your money's worth, you will get someone who can walk you through what exclusion practices are and then fix those practices. That's what's going to help you become more inclusive. So understanding racism helps perspectives to, to shift. Understanding racism helps to change, make change happen. Understanding racism helps this conversation to aid in honest discussion. And understanding racism helps to identify the gaps in your workplace 
which causes gender inequities and so forth. So I can't express that enough. And I'm not being facetious when I say go back and understanding exclusion because if you don't know what causes the problem in the first place, you're, you're not, not going to solve it, are you? Solve it. <laughs> Absolutely. And I guess, I mean, the challenge and the pointy end of it is sometimes that those biases and that racism is coming from the top. Mm. And so that must be very systemically difficult to change, you know, in, in environments where they've just hired people that are just like them because that's what they know and that's what they feel safe with and maybe it's worked so far. You know, perhaps there's been no negatives for them. So I think it's about also convincing them why they would want to change that that way of operating. Yeah, yeah. But recently we know companies that have been hit by the great resignations are the ones with that mediocre culture and that yes. monoculture of le- looking at things for so long. They have treated workers like a cog in profit-making machines without a care about the staff, their greatest assets and their well-being. Yes. And now I think the table is slowly turning and workers are asking for a fair treatment in all spheres. So you might have an organisation that been working under that old model but it's not going to be sustainable because you and I know how much the workplace is changing. And, you know, people want a workplace that they can be themselves, a fun place they can go to work, a place where they know they're going to get the support. And, and, and that is actually the norm, not the exception. And so organisations that is, resist in doing this, is going to cost them. They're not going to have very smart people work for them because they can find some other organisation that are actually caring about their people and go and work for them. Absolutely. Yeah, the great resignation is is kind of the the ultimate sign, isn't it, that times have changed? It is changing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So the Diversity Council of Australia has a yearly index that they share online and they began tracking that in about 2017, so about five years ago. It's now in its third iteration. So 2021-2022 Inclusion at Work Index shows that inclusion may be exactly what employers need to future-proof their businesses as we work more collectively and we obviously have different goals and want to be more included at work. And it's amazing because there's so many positive impacts um, and I'll read out a couple of them for the audience. I won't go through them all. But, you know, four times less likely to leave their job in the next 12 months because we know that when people leave it costs business money and, you know, there's downtime in that hiring process. Ten times Mm -hmm. more likely to be very satisfied about being at work. Ten times more likely to be innovative and four times more likely to work extra hard. So it appears to be that workplace inclusion and diversity equals success. Why do you think some companies hold back from making such big changes or, in fact, keeping them up? They might dabble in it and then say, oh, look, that didn't really work. Let's just hire the, the person that's like me because that particular individual didn't work out and we, we you know, we, we hired them with that diversity inclusion lens and, look, they, you know, as any individual may not have performed that well in the mm. job and so next time they don't, they don't do it again. I mean, what mm. do you think is holding them back from actually making these, these changes for good? And I have heard that 
before, and what that tells me is that they didn't have inclusion practices to start with when they decided to add those mix into the organization. So, of course, it's not going to work because you are not inclusive organization to start with. I do love this quote by Richard Bronson, the CEO of Virgin Airlines, and he said, train people well so they can leave, but treat them well enough so that they don't want to. So inclusion helps organizations to actually future-proof their business. And people will say to themselves, I like it here, so I'm not going anywhere. People are not really paying attention to this benefit that you've just read out by being inclusive because they lack understanding of what exclusion, the opposite of inclusion is. Yes, they just right. do. They yeah. just don't understand it and is the major cause of all workplace problems, exclusion. So as a society and businesses, firstly, understanding of exclusion, which I have described earlier, is, is to do with racism. It makes it very hard for organizations to actually make inclusion works for them. When we look around the world, you know, the top performing organizations in the world are very inclusive. They get it and they're using it as a competitive edge and nothing can touch them. Not great resignation, not nothing, because they have systems in place to support adding those kinds of people who are not the dominant group coming in, but they have got the systems to support them. You see, racism is limited to people's attitude rather than how racism operates in systems. And I'll say that again. As a society, our understanding of racism is limited to the slurs on the streets, and so forth. That is a real sad place for us to be because racism is actually not about what you say to me or do to me. It's actually systems in operation. That's right. And so once businesses understand that and stop setting up their systems in the way that in which it becomes more inclusive, then things you're halfway through becoming an inclusive organization. You see? Great perspective. It is a, it's not a relational problem. And you and I can not like each other very much, Ember, and I hope that we do because <laughs> I quite like you. But let's say we work for an organization and we didn't get on as our people. And this happens. Of course. We're all individuals. We're all different. We can't all expect to be you know, in perfect symbiotic state all the time. That's right. But what I'm saying is that even in that circumstance, organisation that has got inclusion practices can overcome that. We can still work to achieve the highest outcome goals for our business because irrespective of our relational situation, the organization is bigger than that and has inclusive practices, we can still work well. 
So that's what I'm trying to say. It's not a relational problem. It's a system problem. And organizations need to stop putting their hard-earned money in doing bias training to try and change people's attitudes. Yes. And try and work and invest in system changes to be inclusive. And that's why all those benefits that you've read out is quite attractive for businesses to just come on board and do, but they don't because of lack of understanding of what exclusion is. And that's the problem. So changing tack a little bit, who have been your greatest one or two mentors and why they had such an impact in your life and career? When I look at that, two, I've got many (laughs) that we won't have time for me to go through them all. You've got to pick the top two. I know that's probably hard. It's hard, but I've I've, picked the top two. I was very blessed in my early uh, 30s to have a manager who I'm forever grateful for. So over 20 years ago, this manager actually understood inclusion better than managers today. And as a black woman in her team, there was never once I felt I wasn't part of her team physically or emotionally physically or emotionally. So as a leader, she made every effort to really listen to people and hear what the team were saying to her and she will act upon it. She treated everyone with respect. She was transparent and created genuine access and opportunity for people to develop and grow equitably, irrespective of who you are. So for me, that was such an important thing for me as a black woman, knowing that whatever I did, it was I'm going to be treated fairly and equally like all my counterpart. And, and that makes a huge difference in your well-being, in your attitude to work, and how much you actually worked. And, you know, I worked so hard in that organization, but it didn't feel like work because I loved going there. And I knew if I put in the effort, one is going to be noticed, two, it was going to be appreciated and acknowledged. And that is so important, you know. Absolutely. And and I've never experienced that ever since. When she retired, I wept like yes. a baby, because of how much love and care that was between that relationship. Now, did I say I had two? You did. <laughs> and I think the other one is no other person than my husband, actually. He's been a great business partner and his support and love, but more importantly, the honest feedback that he gives me when I need it the most is, is, is just great. So, yeah, they are my top two. Excellent. So if we spoke again in a year, Gloria, what would be the number one thing you would hope to have changed in your business or career and why? In the space that I work, diversity, equity and inclusion, I would really would like businesses to develop acceptance 
and stop resisting to learn and understand what racism is. That's my one thing. Because from their limited understanding of, of racism being people's attitude, instead of the complete understanding of racism that is embedded in systems and how they cause exclusion and disadvantage in their workplaces, affect everyone, especially those who are not white, straight, young or able. And once businesses make it their mission to understand exclusion this way, then we are halfway there. Absolutely. Powerful. So that, that's what I would like to see. And final takeaway message for us today on the politics of workplace inclusion. Mm. I will leave three takeaways for us to consider that inclusion is a system issue, not a relational problem. Look at the root causes of exclusion. Two is that we all need inclusion at work. And this is really important. Inclusion is not just one dominant group allowing everyone else to be included. Inclusion is a basic human need to feel belonging in any space. So as businesses understand this, they will be creating a competitive edge and future-proof their business because inclusion is for all. And lastly, inclusion must consider those on the margins. Yes, that's really important. But ultimately, inclusion, if it's cultivated well, looking at the root causes of exclusion and all the discussions that we have, it will support everyone employees, managers, the business itself. So it creates win-win-win situation. So, and it takes care of your greatest asset, which is your people. And, and lastly, buy my book, <laughs> Inclusion Teams and Workplaces, which you can get in Australia on my website, Everyday Inclusion is my business but also Amazon outside of Australia because inclusion allows everyone to win. Yeah, great advice, a very rich and deep conversation today, Gloria. Thank you for your time. If you do want to contact Gloria Taby, there'll be some details on our show notes. As always, until next time, take care. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests, so if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.